Let us pray. God, may you take our minds and settle them. May you take our hearts and create in them clean hearts. May you take our ears to let us hear your still, small voice. And may you take my words and do with them what only you can through your spirit. Amen. Have you ever watched that program on the BBC? You know the one where they get a celebrity on to try and trace their family tree? Who do you think you are? And often the celebrity finds out something about themselves that they didn't know about their heritage, or they uncover something that challenges their assumptions and stereotypes. Well, this morning we're continuing in our journey through John's Gospel, and in John chapter 7, the theme really is, and throughout the Gospel of John as a whole, who is Jesus? And in this Gospel, John then tries to seek and find an answer and write it down for us. But what we find in our passage this morning is that there are a number of interpretations about Jesus' person. What is his work? And what did he intend to be understood about himself? And I suppose it's interesting that as when we come to Jesus, we often come with this sort of romanticized, naive perception that he was really just a a do-gooder who everybody liked. And that's not necessarily the case because we forget sometimes, and we see it in our reading this morning, that Jesus came to challenge and confront how things were. And we find in our passage this morning that Jesus is challenging and confronting, as he often does in the Gospels, the religious leaders. He comes to challenge and confront those who seem to think that they have God all figured out. So when we come to the person of Jesus, we see that people either detest him or they adore him. And here we see that there are a large number of people, particularly the Jewish leaders, that want him killed and dead. Their whole agenda is to have him killed because his teachings have been challenging and creating a stir and creating, actually, a bit of controversy. So this morning, in the time that we have, what we want to do is literally walk our way through this text to follow the story and see where it goes and then ask ourselves the question, what is it saying to us? How are the words that we read challenging us? And what in these words make us and challenge us to live our lives differently? So maybe keep the reading open with you as we journey our way through it. We begin in this section of John's gospel by reading, but when the Jewish feast of the tabernacles was near, now, I don't know about you, but I don't really know what the feast of the Jewish, the Jewish feast of the tabernacles is. So it might be a good place to start by exploring that a little and seeing is there something about this detail that John gives us that makes us want, that should pick up our ears and make us listen a little more carefully. 
Well, when you delve about in some of the commentaries, you find that in the ancient world there were three primary festivals and feasts in Israel. The Passover, the Feast of the Tabernacles, and the Feast of Pentecost. So this feast that John points out to us in our reading this morning is one of three major feasts. It's an eight-day event, and the people of God would gather together to feast and to celebrate and remember God's deliverance of them out of bondage in Egypt. And they would, stay, they would celebrate this by staying in tabernacles or tents to remind themselves of their people's 40 years walking in the wilderness. Wilderness, a recurring theme in the Gospels. John the Baptist is calling out in the wilderness that the Messiah is coming. Tabernacle, tent. We read in some translations that the word became flesh and pitched his tent among the people. This is very important because as John is constantly doing in his gospel, he is reinforcing that Jesus has actually come to be the fulfillment of all that has gone before, that Jesus is this long-awaited for Messiah, though the people may not see it and recognize it yet, but that is the case. He is the fulfillment of all they are waiting for, and how do they respond when we reach it in this passage this morning? They do not recognize the very fulfillment of all their teaching. So, we come to verse 3, and Jesus' brothers say to him, You ought to leave here and go to Judea, so that your disciples may see the miracles that you do. No one becomes a public figure who acts in secret. So what his brothers are really saying to him is, since you're doing all these things here, why don't you go show yourself to the world? Go and show somebody what you're really capable of doing. You shouldn't stay in a rural town in the wrong area. You should get up to the hub of the activity. You should be at the center of the action. You should perform some miracles and you should show yourself to the world. Nobody who wants to be a public figure acts in secret. Take yourself back a little in John's gospel. This is the, the brother's reaction to Jesus is similar to the reaction from, of his mother in the first miracle that he performs in John's gospel, the turning of the water into wine. It's the same thing. Jesus, we've ran out of wine. You can do these miracle things. Don't hide your light under a bush. Go out there, do something, show the people who you really are. But in our reading this morning, we kind of have a sense of irony in the reaction of the brothers because actually if we read, we read in Mark's gospel in chapter 6 and verse 7 that the brothers didn't really believe in him. So they're almost kind of egging Jesus on. You're the Messiah. You're here to change things. You can do these miracles. We'll go out there. Do it. Cause a stir. The plot thickens as we reach verse 6 because Jesus' reaction to them seems to be a little odd. Therefore, or Jesus then says to them, the right time for me has not yet come. The right time for me has not yet come. They still want to see Jesus as this massive public figure, but Jesus is working to a different agenda. 
He's not working on the same time scale as the brothers or the humans around him. Rather, he has come as the fulfillment of all of who God is and is going to then fully operate on God's time scale. God has not told me to go yet, so I must remain here. And then we journey with Jesus as he continues in his conversation with his brothers, and he seems to suggest that the world hates him. Why is that? Well, he says in the scripture reading this morning, it's because he has come challenging and confronting. It's because he's different to the world's modes and systems and ways of doing things. Hate. Hate is not a passive indifference or an ambivalence, but they hate Jesus because he speaks truth into the lies and brings light into the darkness of the world around him. So Jesus, in verse 8, sends the brothers off. You go to the feast. I'm not going up yet because the time for me has not yet come. And staying, saying this, Jesus remains at home. However, after the brothers had left for the feast, he does actually go. Not publicly, but secretly. See again, challenging what the brothers had said. If you want to be a public figure, don't act in secret. And here we see Jesus going not privately, but secretly. And we read, now at the feast of the Jews, now at the feast, the Jews were watching for him and asking, where is that man? Where is that man? So obviously Jesus' fame and reputation had spread. People are actively looking for him, seeking him out. Where is that man? And among the crowd, there was widespread whispering about him. Some said, he's a good man. Some people think Jesus is a great guy. Others replied, no, he deceives the people. He's a liar and he's leading them astray. But no one would say anything publicly about him because they were fearful of the authorities. The Jewish leaders hadn't yet publicly rendered their opinion on Jesus, so who were the people to decide? But we see in the text this morning that they really did, in their hearts and in their minds, come together, the, the religious leaders, I mean, come together because they hated him and they wanted him dead. But they hadn't said anything publicly yet. So all the people around have their opinions and they're speculating and they're dialoguing about Jesus' person and who he may be and who he might not be and his work. And oh, they're not ready to come out with any strong declarations because they may be conflicting with their leaders. But in verse 14 we read, not until halfway through the feast. Halfway through the feast. Now we know it's an eight-day festival, so halfway through the feast, four days into being there, Jesus begins to speak. And where does he decide to speak? Well, he goes right up into the temple courts and he begins to teach. And what, are the, what is the response? The Jews are amazed and they're asking questions. How did this man get such learning without ever having studied? How did this man get so much knowledge without having 
studied. And that really cuts right to the heart of what the Jewish leader's problem with Jesus actually is. Because we're told that Jesus doesn't teach as other people taught. Other teachers taught the law, but we read in Scripture that they say Jesus came as one who taught with authority. Jesus when he walked among the religious leaders, was such a revolutionary teacher because in the ancient world there were scriptures and there were commentators on the scriptures who would commentate on each verse. And the teachers of the law would then teach what the commentators thought about each verse. So when it boiled down to it, no one was actually talking about the actual words in the text. Yet Jesus, the living word, comes as fulfillment to all those words and talks about them, talks about the God who sent him. Jesus, when he walks among them, doesn't say, here are seven different scholars' interpretations on that issue. No, he would open up the text and say, this is what God says. And if God says this, then this is what you should do. And the response of the people, we have never heard anything like this before, this is quite revolutionary. He speaks unlike any other teacher. And the problem is they look at him in amazement, but they want to know, where did Jesus go to school? Where did Jesus get his qualifications to do all this talking and healing? Where did Jesus get his MDiv? What gives Jesus the right to be at the front? Because in their studies, this is high it would work. And the issue is that Jesus just teaches from the heart of the Father. And there's a certain amount of jealousy that creeps in among the teachers looking at Jesus. He doesn't speak the way we do. He didn't go to any of our colleges. And then in verse 16, Jesus answers, my teaching is not my own. It comes from him who sent me. Where did I get this teaching? Well, it's from God the Father. I'm just trying to do God's will. Jesus is standing in their midst and saying, look, this is not a philosophy. You cannot understand this teaching from the outside. You cannot interpret this teaching away. And then comes another blow. Verse 18 He who speaks on his own does so to gain honor for himself, but not Jesus. Jesus, sorry, some people come and they love to let you know all the books they've read, don't they really? Here's the 57 people I can quote because I'm an authority on this. Here's how smart I am. But they're in it for their own glory. Or there's those who, you know, love to talk about the concept, but putting feet on it, that's a bit messy, isn't it, really? Let's just talk. Sure, let's talk about loving our neighbors, and let's talk about helping those in need. And, oh, what happens? Jesus comes down to earth and walks around in it. He puts flesh and feet and hands and words on it, not sitting in rooms talking for hours on end. He wants to serve the Father who sent him. But 
People have their opinions and people begin judging Jesus and who does he think he is and why is he not conforming to the way I think he should? And in verse 24, he says, stop judging by mere appearances and make the right judgment. They looked, the religious leaders looked at him and said, he doesn't look like a rabbi. But God was in their midst. God just apparently for the religious doesn't seem to have the right wardrobe. Someone should educate God. So in verse 25 we read, At that point some of the people of Jerusalem began to ask, Isn't this the man they're trying to kill? Then Jesus, still teaching in the temple courts, cries out, Yes, you know me, and you know where I'm from. I'm not here on my own. But he who sent me is true. You do not know him, but I know him, and I'm here because of, because of him. Well, like, this is, like, just way too much for them, you know? Like, Jesus didn't have an MDiv, and they were freaking out about that. Well, now he's claiming to be from God, and, oh, what's going to happen? They make up their minds. They're going to arrest him. Because really all this crazy talk about a kingdom that's so different from the one we're living in really wasn't going to fit. So what is this passage saying to us this morning? What could God be saying to us as we sit here in this corner of Belfast on this Sunday in this year that could challenge us for the rest of our lives and call us to live our lives differently. Well, one of the things that you seem to be able to pick up in the text is, do you think in God's times? Not in your own God. He's big enough to create the universe. He's big enough to know his own time scale. And what he's wanting us to do is fall in behind him. Fall in behind him and see where he might take you don't rush ahead of him. Don't be like the brothers in the story and be kind of, you know, coaxing Jesus out there to do something. No, go in God's time. Go with his leading. Go with his guiding, not on your own ability. What else? What else could this passage be saying to us this morning? Well, it seems that for most of the passage, the people don't have their mind made up about Jesus. Maybe he's just a little boy from some small backwater. What's he doing coming up here, stirring things up? Or is he actually God? Could the passage be saying to us this morning, have we made our minds up? Have we made our minds up about who God is? Is he for us just a philosophy? Is he contained within those 57 books of interpretation we have read about him? Is he in our head or is he in our hearts. And maybe also the passage this morning could be saying to us, if we really live this out, this is going to cause some trouble. If we really follow what we say we follow, if we are to be like Jesus and not just be word people, but be people that actually do things, this could bring trouble. Are you ready? Are you ready to take a stand and do something differently? No matter the flack you get, no matter the comments, are you just going to get out there and do it? 
They tried, they made up their minds to arrest him. Let us pray. Father, as we come to your word once again, we are reminded of the awesome challenge and the daunting challenge that it is to try and follow you. We thank you for the example of Jesus that we find in Scripture, who came, who breathed, who walked, who lived, who dwelled among us, who took his leading from you because he was you. So we pray this morning that as we get ready to go back out into the rest of today and the week that lies ahead, that you would constantly keep our hearts and our minds and our bodies moving within your time scale, that we would seek your leading, that we would seek your guiding, and that we wouldn't try to run ahead of you or hurry you up, but rather that we would just practice your presence in our lives every day. And Father, we pray that we would know you deeply in our hearts, that you wouldn't be a concept to be explained, but a reality lived in each of our lives. And may we, with boldness as you were bold, go out into the world to bring your kingdom here as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.